0: If you have a Bible, please um, take it and open it up to Matthew chapter 13, and we will stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter 13, I'm going to read today verses 10 through 15, verses 10 through 15. We're going to look at verses 13, 14, and 15 and we will look at verses 16 and 17 next week. To Matthew chapter 13, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 10. And this is what it says. Then the disciples came to Him and said to Him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And He answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, it has not been given. For to to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see. And hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear. And their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. This is God's Word. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would come now and bless the reading of your Word. And we ask that you would please visit with us and bless this time as we unpack these verses. I pray that you would help me to speak clearly and to teach clearly. Lord, there's a lot here, and I pray that you would help me to be discerning. Lord, I pray that you would help us all to understand what you have here. I pray that even though what we're about to study is contrary to human nature, I pray that you would help us to humble ourselves. Lord, I know that if if we were all allowed to invent our own God and we were allowed to write our own copy of the Holy Scriptures based on our own God, we would not include a passage like this. And we would not include a prophet like Isaiah. And we would not give Isaiah words to speak like this, but that's why we are not God. And you are. And we thank you that you are God and we are not. And we ask that by the power of your Spirit, you would help us to understand. Lord, I pray that if there would be one here today who is not a Christian, I pray that you would um, humble their hearts. I pray that you would open their eyes to understand the truth of the Gospel. Because that is your work. It's not our work. Lord, I I simply want to proclaim the truth. So I pray that you would do that. And for the Christians who are here, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us. I pray that, that the truth that we're about to understand would be, uh, would be something that undergirds and upholds and supports everything that we believe. That it would be something that we could lean on and trust in when times are difficult or when we proclaim the gospel, when we share the gospel with our friends and our family and our coworkers, or or a stranger on the street and, and there is no positive fruit. Well, we can take comfort in that because You are ultimately in control of the response. And so we pray that You would use this time to strengthen us. Lord, I pray that You would strengthen Your church all over the world as, as, as she gathers as Your bride to be purified by the washing of, of the water of the Word today. Help us today, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Many people assume that Jesus used parables and He taught in parables because He wanted to break down spiritual truth so that everybody from... from from every walk of life would be able to understand everything that he had to say, so that he could so that by all means necessary, he could he could gather as many people as possible, he could convert as many Jews as possible during his his three years in ministry. Now, when they read the scriptures, they have to form a picture of a Jesus who was not very fruitful in his ministry if that's the way they think. Poor Jesus, you know, he tried so hard, but you know, he just couldn't he just couldn't get them, you know? And if they adopt that mindset, then they come to today and they adopt that mindset in their own ministry and so they they reject a traditional monologue style sermon like this where everybody sits down and and is quiet. Or as quiet as possible, and one man stands here and, and preaches, they reject that. You know, people don't learn that way. Look at Jesus. We need to we need to learn by conversation and mon- we need to dialogue. We need to to canvass the community and find out what people want to hear and, and talk to them, answer their questions. And because that's what Jesus did. We, we don't need sermons, we need stories. Don't unpack the scriptures, give them a story, help them. To, to understand spiritual truth like they were watching a movie or reading a, a fairy tale. Now, what we're beginning to see as we study this little section of Scripture from verse 10 through verse 17 is that this idea is a complete misunderstanding of the, the reason that Jesus used parables. And so if you adopt that method, then you're going to misunderstand all of Jesus' ministry. You're going to misunderstand the parables and and you have to reject the rest of the New Testament and the apostolic witness as it refers to how we should preach and teach in the church today. In this chapter so far, chapter 13, Jesus has begun to use parables. Now we haven't looked at any parables yet. We've studied no parables. We're trying to look at this Section where Jesus explains why He uses a parable. The disciples have come to Him and they find it very odd that he's pre, or He is taught using a parable, but He didn't explain how it fits into any kind of religious system or any kind of uh, spiritual idea. He just gave a story about a sower and seeds. It might be something you would read, read in any kind of... Uh, farmer's journal. You know, a sower went out to sow seeds and some landed where it should and some didn't and some grew and some didn't. And so they come and they say, this doesn't make any sense. Why would you teach this way? And so as we've looked at the answer that Jesus is giving, what we're learning is that Jesus didn't use parables to try to convince everybody and to help everybody learn. As a matter of fact, he's using parables as a way to make it harder for people to understand what he's saying. He's trying to conceal what he calls in verse 11, the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. He says very plainly in verse 11, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. It's th- this, this, this ability to perceive and to understand these secrets has not been given to them. Then in verse 12, he went on to explain that after these things are made known, some people will take this knowledge and they will cherish it and hold on to it (coughs) and more will be given. But to those who don't, even what they think they have will be taken away. Whatever knowledge they think they have, it will be taken away. And so what we're seeing all in all is that the parables are not as clear cut as they seem. It's not just cut and dry. There's mystery here. There's, There's secrecy. Now, today, in verses 13, 14, and 15, Jesus is going to summarize His answer to their question, why do you speak to them in parables? And then He's going to give an Old Testament prophecy that explains exactly how this works. So here's what I want to do, five steps. And if I get through all five, that that'll be great. If I don't, I can pick up next week. First thing I want to do is look at this summary answer in verse 13 as to why he teaches in parables. Then I want to look at this prophecy in Isaiah. In the context of Isaiah. So we're going to go back to Isaiah and we're going to look at Isaiah. Then we're going to come back over to Matthew and we're going to look at it real quickly in the context of Matthew. Then we're going to try to pull out of it some things that pertain to how God reveals himself through His Word, by way of His chosen men who preach and speak His Word. And then I want to close with some exhortations for us to make sure that we are not like these people and not like the people that Isaiah went to. So we're going to look at the the summary. We're going to look at Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah. We're going to look at Isaiah's prophecy in Matthew. We're going to pull out some things about God's revelation of Himself, and then we're going to Make sure that we are not like these people. So verse 13 is where Jesus summarizes His answer to their question. And it begins with Him speaking, this is why I speak to them in parables. Remember their question, why do you speak to them in parables? Now, this is why I speak to them in parables. He is giving, this is just flat out. Up until this point, He's kind of been just teaching them some things about revelation And now he's going to just give it to them. Now remember, when they said, why do you speak to them in parables, what they mean is, why do you speak to them in half parables? He gave a parable which, for anybody else, if they used a parable and they gave the complete teaching, would have been a great teaching tool. But he didn't give the full teaching. So they're asking, why do you speak to them in parables but not Finish the parable. Every teacher has a pedagogy. Every teacher has a method of teaching. So they come to him, Jesus, Rabbi, teacher. Why are you not teaching? Why are you just giving them a story? You, you could imagine all the people, you know, standing on the shore as Jesus teaches from a boat, and he, and, and he finishes the parable about the sower, and he says. He who has ears, let him hear. And okay, so so where's the rest of it? And the the disciples are thinking, okay, where's the punchline? Where's the okay? Now get them, get them, and that's it. There's nothing. So there's so they come together. One of the other gospels says they they come to him alone, and they they, they say, you know, why are you? speaking to them in parables. Why aren't you being a little more clear, Jesus, teacher, rabbi, this is your job to teach. And here He's going to say, this is why. I'm just going to give it to you straightforward. This is why for them, all those people on the shore, it's in half teachings. He says, because seeing they do not see, and hearing... They do not hear. Now, there's an obvious wordplay here when you read this. (coughs) When you read this, you, you know that there has to be an obvious difference between seeing and seeing and hearing and hearing. Because seeing, they do not see, and hearing, they do not hear. He's saying they are seeing and they are hearing, but they're not hearing and they're not seeing. What Jesus is is describing here is the difference between outward reception or or physical reception and inward digestion or, or spiritual reception. They're seeing with their eyeballs and they're hearing with their ear holes, but they're not taking it in inwardly. That's what He's saying. See, these people that Jesus is addressing, they had most definitely seen. I mean, we just flip back a couple pages to chapter... 9 and chapter 8, and see all of the things that they had seen, all the miracles, healing the leper, you know, um, healing the, the deaf and the blind, and calming the storm and raising the dead, all these things that they had seen with their own eyes. They had taken in these events through their eyeballs, into their optic nerves, and flipped it over into their brain. They had seen it. There wasn't a problem with their physical eyes. The problem is. Jesus says, seeing they do not see. This is, this is spiritual. Inwardly. Spiritual sight. The eyes of their souls were not able to process what was happening. They were, they were spectators. They were just watching something, but they weren't able to make a spiritual connection. Just like watching something, watching a war on a movie, or watching a battle scene. You're not afraid. You're not scared. Now sometimes we get pulled into a a good movie, a good scene, but we're not actually afraid for our lives because we're not there. There's a, a disconnect. They were seeing, but they weren't actually seeing. They weren't connecting. They had heard many things physically with their ears. They had heard the preaching of John the Baptist out in the Judean wilderness. Repent. Make straight the way of the Lord. They heard Him. He was there. They went out to see Him because He was preaching. They heard Him. They heard the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus preached. And when He got done, they could tell by what they had heard, this man has an authority when he preaches that's not like anything we've ever heard. They knew it was different. They heard when the scribes and the Pharisees would come to Jesus and they would try to catch Him in a in a, in a falsehood or try to twist up what he was saying or try to accuse him of something they heard Jesus just blast them with infinite wisdom and just shoot them down they heard it their physical ears took in the sound waves they had heard they weren't deaf the problem was hearing they did not hear inwardly spiritually in their in their souls it didn't settle into their hearts the sound waves went in, but they weren't received and, and taken in and absorbed. Or we could say, Jesus spoke the eternal truths and they heard them, but they weren't allowed to germinate. That might be a good word we could use. It was in one ear and out the other. Now these people, we, we can't be misunderstood here, they shouldn't be misunderstood. They were definitely entertained. They were more than likely overjoyed and excited about what was happening. They wanted to see more, but that was it. Some even said this might be the Messiah, but that was it. They weren't making the connection. They came to Jesus a lot and said, show us more miracles, do more of this, do more of this. Very rarely, if ever, did anybody come to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, preach us some more sermons, teach us some more wisdom. The disciples would come and say, teach us how to pray. But that was it. So so hearing, they do not hear. So seeing, they do not see. Hearing, they do not hear. There's a difference here. Physically, they were taking this stuff in, but it wasn't making any inward connection. And that leads to, nor do they understand. Now the word to understand here means to bring or set together. So we might say, it just didn't click. Like a seatbelt buckle. just didn't click. So... Whatever was already going on in their minds and their hearts spiritually, what they had been taught, what they had read, and what they were seeing and hearing in Jesus, it just didn't add up. It didn't click. It's like a puzzle. They just weren't able to put the pieces together. It's like two different puzzles. They could see them, but they weren't able to put it together. Now, these people, remember, they were looking for the Messiah, they were ready. They were expecting the kingdom. They were obsessed with the scriptures, obsessed with the law, obsessed with the ceremonies and the traditions, and then Jesus comes, and He's preaching, and He's teaching, and He's performing miracles, and He's he's doing all these things that as we read, they very clearly say, this is God in human flesh walking on the earth, and they say, great. They make no spiritual connection. There's... It's just not what they had expected. There's no inner connection. Now verse 11, we've already read. It just says, to them it hasn't been given to know. They're just not going to know. So here's the logical chain from verse 11 to verse 13. To them it has not been given to know. God is sovereign and He has chosen these people will not understand. Therefore, seeing, they do not see. And hearing, they do not hear. Therefore, inwardly, inside, in their their mind, in their heart, they do not understand. Therefore, Jesus says, I will keep on speaking to them in half-truths and half-teachings because it hasn't been given for them to know. And that's it. That's, That's what he says. It hasn't been given for them to know. Therefore, seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, therefore they do not understand, therefore I teach them in parables and do not explain what I'm saying. Now, are we to assume, when we read this, are we to assume that God in eternity past was sitting there with the Father and the Son, however that would have looked or been, flipped the proverbial coin, flipped it over, you know, okay, these people will not be able to hear. They are damned forever. These people, they will be saved. They will be My chosen just by sheer chance. Is that how God done things? And therefore, these people that Jesus is teaching just won't be able to understand? And the answer is, of course, no. Now, how do we know that? Well, number one, God does nothing by sheer chance. God flips no coins. Ephesians 1 says He does all things according to the counsel of His will. In love He predestined us to adoption as sons. So so it's not that He flipped a coin. It's not that He looked down the halls of time and saw who would believe. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, but it was not by chance. But it was also... Well, He goes on. In verse 14, He uses a prophecy from Isaiah. And this prophecy comes in to undergird what He's teaching us here and to explain what's happened to these people so that we don't have to wonder, man, that's just not fair. That God would just say, sorry, you're not going to understand. And we just say, well, that's, that's not just. That's not fair. And once we understand the prophecy in Isaiah, then we'll understand what's happening here. So... He says in verse 14, Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. So let's turn to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. And I want you to see this with your eyes because this is a very important part of Scripture. Isaiah chapter 6. While you're turning, I'll just give you a little background and, and kind of filler information about what's happening here in the book of Isaiah. <coughs> As with all of the history of the Hebrew people, they were obedient, and then they were rebellious, and then they were obedient, and then they were rebellious, and they were obedient, and, and mixed in and out of, of all of their history, and, and at all times there were always rebellious, idolatrous people, and then there were some good people all the time. During the reign of King Solomon, God comes and He says, I'm going to break this kingdom in half. And so the kingdom divides into the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Now, the northern kingdom of Israel was much more wicked and idolatrous than Judah, but they were both idolatrous. And they both brought in pagan gods. They just went to the other nations, brought in their gods, and set them up in the temple the Ashtaroth and the gods of the Moabites and the Ammonites, they just brought them in and and worshipped foreign gods right out in the open. They were not afraid. So they were both wicked. Isaiah comes as a prophet to the southern kingdom of Judah. Now after Isaiah's ministry, you had King Hezekiah, who was a good king. You had Manasseh, who was a terrible king. You had... Amnon, who was a bad king, Josiah, who was a good king. Josiah made many great reforms, but God came and He said, sorry, it's too late. They've already been too bad. They're going to be punished. So After Josiah, there were four more bad kings and then Judah is taken off into exile. So this is where Isaiah comes. He comes into the midst of this people who are terribly just filled with and, and infiltrated by and consumed with Pagan idolatry. Now this is not like in our day we say, you know, if you sin, ultimately what you're doing is you're treasuring your sin above God, therefore it's idolatry. No, this is not what they were doing. They were bringing in the false idols of God and setting them up in the temple of God and worshiping false gods. And Isaiah comes to this people. Now this part of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 is his commission. This is where he gets his marching orders from God. You can see in verse 8 of Isaiah chapter 6, he says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. So this is where Isaiah says, I'm going to be the one to go. And this section following verse 8 describes Isaiah's ministry. I want to give a little overview of these verses. Now, like I said, if I don't get through all this today, we'll pick it back up next week. But I want you to understand what's happening in these verses. This is very important. In verse 9, and this is why I want you to turn there. Look at verse 9. And He said, God is speaking. Go and say to this people, God is speaking, and then hear God tells Isaiah what to say to the people. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. End little quote. See there? End little quote. So God has just given Isaiah the words to say. Then God keeps on speaking. Now He's commanding Isaiah what to do. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. You see what's happening here. God tells Isaiah, say this. Then He tells Isaiah, do this. Say this and do this. And then in verse 11, you see the, end, the quote ends in verse 11. Then I said, how long, O Lord? Isaiah responds back to God. And Isaiah re- receives his ministry uh, commission there let's look at this verse by verse. Verse 9. This is what God told Isaiah to say to the people of Judah. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Now we have two parallel statements. Statement number one, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Now remember, remember who we're talking to. Remember who He is being sent to. Jewish people, the, the, the Israelites, the Hebrew people, the people of God, God's chosen people. Keep on hearing. They had heard, they, they knew the law. They had heard the laws at least a little bit. They had been told about the law. They had been at least reminded of proper worship at least a little bit. They had been no doubt raised on the story of the Exodus and, and the Passover, although they, we do read that they had not observed the Passover as often as they were supposed to. Now Isaiah is coming to preach to them. So they will keep on hearing. Isaiah will be in their midst. And he's going to call them back to the law of God. That was what a prophet done. Now most people think a prophet just tells what the future holds. That's not what a prophet did. A prophet had the law in one hand and he pointed at the people at the other hand and said, this is what God has said. Get back to the law of God. That was a prophet's job. And so he was sent to preach to the people and he would not stop. So they would keep on hearing. Keep on hearing what you've always heard. You're the people of God. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Do not distinguish. Do not discern the message. And in prophetic language, notice that Isaiah is told to command the people. Don't you understand? Don't you dare discern? Don't you dare make sense of what I'm saying? In other words, keep on getting what you've always got, but you will not listen. Don't you dare listen. Statement number two. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Again, Imagine all that they had seen. This was Judah. They had Jerusalem. They had Solomon's temple. There are psalms that are written, psalms of ascent, that they would sing these songs as they were walking to the temple because it was so glorious. They had this in their midst midst that they had filled with false gods. They had experienced God's blessing at the same time, God's curse, as foreign nations were coming in and attacking them and punishing them. They hadn't seen these things. And Isaiah says, keep on seeing. I will be in your cities. I will be walking around. I will be naked with my shoes off for three years in your midst preaching. You will keep on seeing the Word and hearing the, hearing the Word and seeing the prophet, but do not perceive. The word perceive here is yada To know intimately, oftentimes in the Old Testament, used for sexual intimacy. They would not be able to come to a true, intimate understanding of the message. And again, the the, the language here is, do not perceive, do not understand what I'm saying. Keep on listening, keep on hearing what you've always heard, but don't you dare perceive what I have to say. That's what Isaiah was saying. To tell the people. Now, it would not have happened this way, but just picture a prophet going and all the people are gathered and he says, Hear ye, hear ye, thus saith the Lord. Here's his message. Keep on hearing, keep on hearing all you've ever heard, but don't you dare understand what he has to say to you. He drops the mic. Mic drop. That's kind of what's being said here, okay? Then in verse 10, here's God's command to Isaiah. Now, God's speaking just to Isaiah. Here's what you're going to do, Isaiah. Here's the essence of your ministry, Isaiah. Make the heart of this people dull. And notice he says make. This is imperative. God is commanding Isaiah to make their heart dull. Now, in Hebrew, the the Hebrew mind, the the heart we know is the inner man. The center of the emotions and the intellect and the will and, and the... All that makes you, you. Your, your, your moral seat. Your personality. Your affections. The heart is that which is either dead in trespasses and sins or replaced and indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God in the new birth. Make the heart dull. Make it fat. Make it sluggish. Render it unresponsive is what he's saying. Make them morally, spiritually, emotionally, intellectually unable to feel. Make them sluggish and unresponsive in their hearts. Render them spiritually apathetic. That's what he's saying to Isaiah. Here's your ministry, Isaiah. Make them unable to respond to me in any way, shape, or form. And their ears heavy. The word make is assumed here. So you're going to make them... Make their ears heavy. That's another way of saying make them hard of hearing. Render their ears unreceptive spiritually. Blind their eyes. Again, it's in the imperative. Shut their ears off spiritually. They're not going to actually be blind. They're not going to actually fill their ears up. This is spiritual. Isaiah is going and God is commanding him to render them unresponsive. The picture here is is like taking a sponge and squeezing it and submerging it in water and then letting it go, filling it up with water and then pulling it back out and saying, alright Isaiah, you, you filled them up. Now, what would you do if somebody said put a little bit more water in that sponge? You can't. It's full. It's, it's, it's completely unable to get any more water. If you try to squeeze it a little bit more, you lose what's already in there. Seal them off to any receptivity. That was the essence of Isaiah's ministry. Now here's the question. What was Isaiah going to do to these people that would accomplish this mission? Was he going to go around and spread lies about God? Or go around and cry wolf here and cry wolf there so that people would be confused and then they would be like, well, we're just not going to listen anymore. No. Isaiah was going to preach the Word of God to them. It would be the pure, unadulterated, unfiltered, inerrant, infallible word of the living God coming through the mouth of His prophet to His people that would fatten their hearts and and shut off their ears and blind their eyes. Now, that sounds like the opposite of the outcome we would desire, right? When a prophet goes to a rebellious people, we want the opposite. We want them to say, we're sorry, God. We will repent. And God says, no, shut them off. But then it gets even worse. He continues, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Now the word lest is very important. We might use the word unless. We use this word when we're, when, when we're trying to prevent something that is theoretically possible. So what God is saying to Isaiah is, Isaiah, go to this people. Preach to this people. Preach the Word of God to this people. Shut off their ears spiritually. Blind their eyes spiritually. Fatten their hearts spiritually spiritually. Because if you don't, there's a good chance they might see and hear and understand and turn and be healed. Now if you don't believe that God does whatever He wants with whomever He chooses, I don't know what you do with a verse like this. You have to just take it out. The Lord does as He pleases among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand, or say to him, what have you done? So Isaiah's ministry, from the very outset, would be one that would fatten hearts, close spiritual eyes, and shut up spiritual ears. He was sent to a people who were hardened already. They were already idolatrous. And his preaching, whether he was Prophesying the destruction of the city, prophesying the destruction of Egypt or Moab, or whether he was saying the Messiah is going to come, or whether he was saying, uh, whether he was teaching about the, the suffering servant in Isaiah 53, no matter what he was preaching, his preaching would only serve to harden them. What God is saying from the very outset of his ministry is there will be almost zero positive fruit. And those people would eventually be taken into exile and only a remnant would return. Now, turn back to Matthew. When we turn back to Matthew, Jesus says, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. The same prophecy being fulfilled in the people of His day. As it was in the southern kingdom of Judah, so it is with the people of His own day. But now it's not Isaiah preaching, it is Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, who has come in human flesh and is teaching them. And these people, they've put away the foreign gods. They're not caught up in pagan idolatry. They are obsessed with worshiping God based on the Scriptures. They're obsessed with ceremonial worship. Look at Isaiah's prophecy in Matthew, verse, the, the second half of verse 14. You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. Matthew's quoting here from the Septuagint. That's the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And what he says, what he describes, is the case of the majority of those who heard the parable that day as Jesus taught. That's why he left it unexplained. It had already been prophesied these people will never perceive. They're never going to get it. And again, we have to understand that it was not the intention of Jesus to convert every Jew. That's not his sole purpose. His purpose was to do the will of the Father who sent him. Just like Isaiah. His purpose was to be faithful to the Word and let the Father take care of the fruit. Jesus knew the outcome before He started, just like Isaiah knew the outcome at His commission. Verse 15, For this people's heart has grown dull. It fit rebellious Judah. It fit in the day of Jesus. Their hearts were fattened and unresponsive. They had grown dull. It wasn't just like the flip of a switch. It was over time, over years of rote, Religious tradition that grown hardened and fat and sealed off, unresponsive. With their ears, they can barely hear. They can't make any spiritual sense of what Jesus is teaching. It wouldn't matter what He said. When their eyes, they have closed. They are spiritually blinded to the things that they have seen. They can't make any any connection. No spiritual connection significance when He would teach and the things that they would see and hear. So what Jesus is doing is He's testifying to the fact that the scene hasn't changed. Sure, they've, they've moved the Ashtoreth out of the temple. They're not worshiping the gods of the Moabites anymore. But their hearts are still hardened to the truth. They're still satisfied with doing the religious thing, going through the religious motions with no heart connection to what's happening. This is a spiritually blind and deaf people. They are internally, spiritually dead. And again, he says, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. See, there's still this theoretical possibility if they would see and if they would hear and then understand and turn, they'd be healed. The problem is, they don't. Verse 11 has already said, it's not been given to them to know. Isaiah prophesied that it would be this way. Does that mean that they're without responsibility? That it just, sorry, God just put them in the no category? No. They had grown dull. This is after years, generations of rebellion and hardness of heart. They were an obstinate and stiff-necked people. They were satisfied with dead tradition. They didn't, they didn't see the need to have their heart consumed with the Word of God and conformity to His Word. So Jesus comes preaching and teaching in a way that catches His disciples off guard. He isn't as clear as He could be, and so they ask, why? And He says, in essence, they are a sinful and rebellious people. Therefore, they are unable to receive what I say, just like Isaiah said they would be. God's sovereignty, human responsibility, hand in hand. How do we explain it? We point to the scriptures. Jesus' preaching comes to this people like a marathon runner who's just eaten a five course meal and then you slide a bowl of banana pudding over to him and he stuffs his face. And at the end, he's useless, incapable of movement. It's just, it's the last thing to push them over the edge. And they will eventually say, we've seen it all before. We will not see it again. We've heard this message. We will not hear it again. We're done watching you. We've had enough. Crucify Him. Give us our murderer back. Give us our insurrectionists back. We've had enough of this Jesus. He had to speak in parables. If He would have been clear, there would be no Calvary. There would have been no cross if everybody would have just said, yay, Jesus! We all understand. We all get the parables now. It, it finally makes sense. There would have been no Calvary. There had to be a hardened and rebellious people. So what do we get out of this? The first thing we need to understand is that as Jesus ministers in the Gospels, as He's teaching and preaching, he, he's always, or His teaching and preaching is always doing one of two things. It's always either converting and strengthening or it is hardening. Always. Some will hear these parables and they will be converted. They will be strengthened. The disciples will come to Him and they will ask for an explanation. He will explain the parable to them. They will grow. Matthew will write it down so that we can read it thousands of years later. One of His disciples, Matthew, wrote this down. It it worked to strengthen and to convert. Who knows how many countless millions have read the parable of the sower and said, my heart has been hardened. God, soften my heart. And it, it has worked. But then the other side of it is some people have been hardened by these parables. They read it and they said, this man's a lunatic. This man, sure he done miracles, but my goodness, his ministry really loses its luster when he starts speaking. A, a sower in seeds? Who cares what he can do? I will not hear him again. It always does. One of two things, always. As we read through the Gospels, and Jesus teaches, His Word is always doing one of two things. Some people will believe. You see the Pharisees, you can almost picture their faces, just, they're, they're, they're just getting mad, their knuckles just getting wider and wider every time He speaks because they're getting madder and madder to the point when they finally put Him on the cross. The second thing that we need to understand, and this goes for Scripture and this goes for all time, as, as the Word of God goes out, God, by His Spirit, always does one of two things. He is always either revealing truth or He is concealing truth. Always. If He reveals truth, that leads to regeneration, conversion, growth, understanding, sanctification. That leads to us reading the Scriptures and and learning and and being strengthened. That, That leads to churches being planted, churches being built up, individual Christians and families growing together in love and being built up into the unity of the Spirit, the bond of peace, growing up into the head which is Christ when we study the Scriptures. That is what happens when God through His Spirit reveals the truth of Scripture. But other times, He conceals the truth and that leads to hardening of hearts, that leads to blinding of eyes, that leads to calloused hearts, that leads to people who say, you know, I've been to church I've been, you know I, I go once or twice every five years I hear the same thing every, go, every time I go you know, I'm done. It's the same stuff every time. I'm done hearing it. The hearts become hardened because God is concealing truth. And the third thing for us These things are the same when we preach and share the Gospel. Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and it shall succeed in the thing for which I sin it. Notice, it says, that which I purpose. The thing for which I sin it. See, it is not always our goal that is God's purpose. Our intentions are not always the thing that God has intended for His Word to do. It is not always the thing for which God has sent His Word. And we have to understand God is not only sovereign over human history, He's sovereign over every time we share the gospel. Every time the word goes forth, He is sovereign. And we have to be faithful, like Isaiah, like Jesus. Be faithful to the word. Notice, God says, It shall not return to me empty. If we are faithful to deliver the word, It will not return empty. God will always be faithful to give fruit. Whether that is salvation and conversion, whether that is planting a seed for future salvation, or whether that hardens the heart of a sinner who will never repent. He always gives fruit. He always does something with it. The proclamation of the Word of God cannot do nothing. It always accomplishes something. And by way of exhortation, this is very important for us. And I say this a lot because it scares me. We have to be careful that we are not blinded or fattened or deafened by the Word of God. See, it is very easy for us to think that because we hear with our ears, because we see with our eyes, because we do these things, that we are receiving positive benefits through preaching, through podcasts, through watching sermons, through reading books, reading whatever you're doing, the things that we do. It's easy for us to say, because I'm doing that, the benefits that I'm receiving are positive. Well, here are some questions. When you do those things, are you convicted of sin because of your time with God's Word? Are you progressing in holiness and sanctification because of your time with God's Word? Are your affections for the Lord Jesus Christ being stirred and and amplified because of your time spent with God's Word? See, here's what we normally do in the Reformed church. Here's what we say, man, I'm just learning so much. Well, that's not always a positive benefit. See, our heads just do this. They get bigger bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And we think, that we're making so much, we're benefiting so much. What could be happening is our hearts could be getting dull, our ears are getting closed off, our eyes are becoming blinded, and we become unresponsive. We learn so much that we fail to see that there's actually no application in everyday life. That the things that we're doing are not being applied on a daily basis. It doesn't matter if we can properly exegete Romans. One, 1, through 1-12, if we're still watching the same garbage on TV week after week after week after week, it doesn't matter. God's not impressed with how well we can interpret if we're not living holy lives, if it's not changing us and we're becoming a holy people. You see, these are ways that we become blind. We become deaf. Our hearts become fat. And we say, well, I'm just learning so much. Great job. What are you doing? Why does your life look the same? Why does your life look the same as everybody else? And so we have to guard against this through regular self-examination, through prayer, through confession of sin, through seeking God for repentance. The Word of God is a very powerful thing. It is the active agent in the universe. Every single event that has ever taken place from the beginning of time to the end of time is taking place because of God's decree from before the foundation of the world. He, he spoke it, and it's happening. Every event, every, every, every sound wave, every, every toy that falls on the ground, every car accident, every snowflake, it all happens because God spoke it. It's a very powerful thing whether it's prophesied from Isaiah or preached from the mouth of Jesus or preached from my mouth or, or listened to from a podcast or read in a book or, or played through your car speakers, it's always living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's always doing something. And we have to be diligent to guard our hearts from becoming calloused to its work. Because it's so easy for us to think just because it's going in that we're, that we're benefiting, that we're just, we're, I'm, I'm super Christian. I'm just growing. I'm listening. I'm, I'm reading. I'm super Christian. Look at your life. Is your life changing on a daily basis? Because what could be happening is you're blinded to the everyday reality, the experiential Christian life, or the, the Puritans would say the, the experimental Christianity. So we have to pay close attention to what we're seeing. And what we're hearing, examine our lives with the Word of God. Pray for the Spirit's help in applying Scripture. And remain humble, ready to change. If we're not ready, then we're not going to change. Because when you begin to read the Word of God and you begin to prepare to be holy, God will point out things that need to change. And if you're not ready, you're not going to change. You're going to say, well... I'm not going to change that, but I'll just read two more chapters tomorrow and that'll make up for my sinfulness today and that's not how God operates. We have to humble ourselves and be ready. Let's pray.